All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. A lot to talk about, as always. Mississippi State men's basketball played a very competitive game last night against the University of Kentucky. We're going to break that down uh, in the next segment of the show. A game was much closer, I think, than most of us anticipated, including myself. I shared with you guys on Monday, I didn't expect to win the game, but no matter how this week went, my enthusiasm about Mississippi State men's basketball season this year was not going to be diminished. I'm actually encouraged. And, yeah, I get it. There is a winner and a loser in an athletic sporting event, and we were the loser. But I thought we actually went out there and acquitted ourselves very well without one of our best players, Tolu Smith. And I really thought Kentucky would dominate the post. In some respects, they did. But we found a way to really push them uh, to a very competitive game. And, and they were sweating it down the stretch. And, and I, like many of you, once State made that late run, I thought, you know what, we're going to find a way to pull this thing off. I think Iverson Molnar was absolutely fantastic. So give Ben Howen and the, uh, the Bulldogs credit for going out there. And I'm not a moral victory guy. At the end of the day, you're judged on wins and losses. But I, it does give me some hope for the second half of the SEC schedule. It's a very difficult stretch we're in right now. But I feel like, you know what, hey, if we can survive the week, we got a chance to make a little hay. I still believe we are an NCAA tournament team, and we'll see how things progress. A little bit later in the show, we're going to uh, talk about the Rakia Jackson situation. She enters the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, a lot of speculation about that, and a lot of it's unfounded. I'm going to share with you what I've learned. We're going to talk about that. Obviously, it's a huge blow to Mississippi State's on-the-court performance, uh, but at the end of the day, it may end up being an addition by subtraction type thing uh, when you think about the health of our team. So we'll see how things you know, really kind of go with that. But the uh, reality of it is, is Rakia Jackson uh, now moving on. It makes me appreciate Maya Taylor that much more. 
Like, I've read some of these things, like, ah, oh, you know, well, you know, Rakia signed for Vic and then played for Nikki and then played for Doug, and next year's going to be a different coach. You know, Maya Taylor went through that same experience just a year quicker. And Maya Taylor's still here and, and playing very, very hard for Mississippi State and uh, really a leader on this team. And, you know, this isn't the program that she signed up for either. She very easily could have gone in the portal, but she didn't. She stuck it out. And, uh, yeah, I, I commend her at the end of the day for every bit of that. Has shown some real fortitude and leadership on this team. And, you know, it hasn't been the best of circumstances. And it's incredible to think, you know, hey, we're just, you know, a few years removed from playing for back-to-back national championships. And kind of here we are. But it seems like ever since they canceled the NCAA tournament back in March of 2020, we have not caught a break on the women's basketball side. It almost feels like we're snake bit a little bit. I mean, you had all the transfer outs and then transfer ins. You had a coaching hire that didn't work out. And, and uh, you know, everybody's got varying opinions on uh, Nikki McCray-Pinson. But the reality of it is, is, you know, the job may have proven to be a little too big for her, but we don't really know. Uh, because of the circumstances that have happened in her personal life, and we still wish her all the success with every bit of that. Uh, the reality of it is, you know, when people leave our program, and, and my attitude has always been this, and I know at times you, that you may disagree, uh, you know, with my vantage point, that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything to love one another. But, you know, when, when players or coaches and people leave like that, you know, I'm always appreciative of their contributions to Mississippi State. I appreciate the fact they came here and, and gave what I believe to be their best effort. And sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. I don't, I don't take a lot of that stuff personally when people leave. You know, I know there's this feeling of abandonment at times, like when Dan Mullen left. A lot of our people were, were really upset about that, felt like Dan had abandoned us. I felt like Dan at this point had taken us as far as he could take us and was probably ready for the next step in his career. And many of you were already kind of sick and tired of Dan Mullen, right? I mean, the, the thing, here's the thing that I don't miss is every single December and January having to feel like that our program and our university is held hostage by a coaching search. I mean, every single year we had to deal with that. I don't miss any of that stuff. I don't miss all those days on the phone. I mean, obviously there's always comings and goings in the world of college athletics, and we have to kind of run down rumors and uh, tips and things like that. But the, the reality of it is, is that, you know, I remember having to talk to somebody about Rutgers, that somebody believed that Dan Mullen was actually going to leave us to go to Rutgers because it would get him close to the family. And if you know anything about Dan, you know, Dan's a very career-oriented person. He is a career-first guy. And I, I'm glad the guy's getting a chance to spend some time with his family. Uh, but Dan's a very ambitious guy, and anybody that thinks that he was going to take a step back and go to Rutgers, if he was going to leave Mississippi State, it was going to be for a Blue Blood program, and ultimately that's what happened. But it wasn't anything personal against us. It felt that way to some of us, but it was time for us to make a change. I think at the end, we the relationship had grown a little bit contentious. Yeah, I think he was kind of ready to go and tried to get out, couldn't get out, finally got an opportunity to go somewhere, and I think we were kind of ready for some fresh blood. And, you know, here we are four years later, and not the program that we were at times under Dan Mullen. I still believe we're turning in the right direction. I know some other people will disagree out there. Uh, and, again, you're, you're judged on your, your wins and losses. And that's the thing I think about with Mike Leach this year. You know, we had some really nice highs this year. We have had some really nice highs under Mike Leach. Well, now we're just trying to find some consistency, Right. It's like, yeah, Steve, we, man, it was a great, great win for us to go on the road and beat Auburn. You know what? It absolutely was. 
we really kind of put them in a tailspin. It was also extremely embarrassing to go to the University of Memphis and come home with that loss. We knew this year we didn't have a lot of margin for error uh, when it came to bowl eligibility. We ended up making it, you know, of course, by a couple of games for a 75 regular season. But those are the games like it kind of throws a little bit of, you know, salt in the wound, I guess you could say. It's like, hey, we're good enough to go on the road in 2020 and beat the defending NFL champions in their own venue with a brand-new quarterback and a brand-new offense and really really probably in a situation where we should have blown those guys out at LSU. But it was a huge win. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to jump on the Bulldog bandwagon. It's like, hey, let's go. The next thing you know, we're battling through a three and seven regular season. You know, the reality of it is, is that uh, you know we hired Mike Leach to come in here and implement his his system, and you got to give him time to do it. My honest opinion about that. Just got to take some time. When I leave here today, I'm headed to Bulldog Burger Company for lunch. You should be as well. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I again I say I love them before they love me. You know, long before they were sponsors of the show, I was a patron of that fine establishment here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. I love eating local. That's important to me. Even when I travel somewhere, I really don't eat at the national chains unless I have no say in the matter. You know, sometimes people want to take you out to dinner or whatever. Hey, let's go here. Oh, oh, okay. I would rather eat local. And I encourage you too, whether you travel or whether you're, uh, you know, eating in your neck of the woods, let's eat local. And the Eat With Us group is definitely local. They've done a great job serving the Golden Triangle and now Central Mississippi uh, with a great family of restaurants. I think Bulldog Burger Company is the best place to get a great restaurant-quality hamburger uh, in central and north Mississippi. I don't think there's any question about that. I encourage you to go by and enjoy the fine cuisines they offer there. Recently had the BLT salad again. You can't go wrong with that. You know, you're like, well, maybe I don't want to eat too heavy for lunch. We've got big plans tonight. Have that great salad. It's very substantial. The portions are substantial. It's fresh. It's tasty. You're going to get your money's worth, too. I've told you guys many times, the portions – at Bulldog Burger Company are so generous, you always get your money's worth. When other people are out there kind of cutting back, charging you the same but giving you less food, that's just not happening with these folks. They're going to take care of you. Have the spring rolls for your appetizer. Uh, Dave hit us up last night on Twitter and said, you know, the first time I had the spring rolls, I didn't notice any any difference in my appearance, but uh, I don't know that I'm going to make it home tonight. You know, now that I've had the spring rolls a second time, I look in the rearview mirror, I don't recognize myself. So, Dave, thanks for supporting our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. You should, too. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go out and check them out today. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's talk basketball. And, again, I take no glory in losing a game. Basketball, baseball, football, whatever. We, we never just want to go play it close. Now, that's the disclaimer. To be fair, I didn't expect that game to be close last night. I, I didn't. And just because, number one, Kentucky has, is undefeated at home. We have not won in Rupp Arena since 2009. And then we're without Tolu Smith. And you're going to need some big bodies to get in there and bang with Kentucky. And give Javian Davis and Garrison Brooks some credit. I mean, they had some moments, too, especially late, where we um, – you know, we didn't capitalize on some opportunities, but the reality of it is is that uh, we went out there and made some things happen and maybe played a little bit above our head. And, and um, there was, a, there was a, a, a comment, I guess, last night on the broadcast, you know, that it just kind of felt like those guys, um, 
you know, weren't giving us any respect. The next thing you know, State makes a big run there. But, uh, you know, we did not get off to a very good start in any way. We take, actually took a 6-4 lead just a couple minutes into the game, and then that was our only lead until we got, you know, until we made that run late. It's, it's a 6-4 ball game. State is up two after an Iverson Molinar layup. And then from there, Kentucky just kind of exerted, you know, their strength and, and will against us. And it really felt like, you know what, we were in really bad shape. We weren't going to be able to compete. Uh, Tashibi absolutely went off. And that, that guy is just great. I mean, you can say what you want to. It's like there's cer- certain players you think, okay, we can defense them this way. We can defense them that way. Whatever you threw at him, he found a way to score. This guy's a first-rounder. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the guy was a leading rebounder in the SEC last year, and then he showed last night why. And, of course, that's the thing you think about. You have Tolu Smith in the game. You know, maybe we get a couple of those rebounds. Maybe it's a different ball game. Maybe we make a free throw and win in regulation. But early in that ball game, maybe midway through the first half, it really felt like we were in trouble. In fact, Kentucky gets up uh, 12 right there at the under-eight timeout. You know, it's a 25-13 ball game. And Kentucky was pretty much doing whatever they wanted to do. They block a shot. They pull a rebound down. They get a, you know, wide-open dunk. It just felt like, you know what, okay, we're not going to compete. We just don't have the horses to really go out here and make this thing happen. It's a 27-16 game under six. And then they they stretch it out to a 14-point lead at 439. Molinar, who, again, was outstanding, refused to go quietly. You're thinking, okay, let's just try to get it under 10 before we get to the break. Right at two minutes, we pull it to 10, and then Kentucky stretches it back out to 15 on the three-pointer from uh, Deontay Allen to make it 35-20 with a minute 29 to go in the first half. Well, we get into the break, we're down 13, and you think it's okay, it's 37-24, maybe we can stay within striking distance, but hey, we're not gonna win the game. That That's kind of how I felt. I was like, you know what, hey, I mean, as long as we can avoid getting blown out, you know, maybe that's a win for us. And, of course, it doesn't help us in the tournament, but I think maybe it helps us from a confidence level standpoint. And confidence is a difficult thing to defeat. Belief is difficult to defeat. When teams believe they're going to win and expect to win, they're like, hey, we're going to find a way. It's kind of like Mississippi State baseball. It's like, you know what, we just got to stay in this thing, and then the ghost will show up. I don't know that we had that belief at the time, but I think we developed some of that later in this ballgame. And again, Kentucky comes out, goes uh, goes on, what, a 5-0 run to push it out 40-25. And you think, all right, well, this is it. Okay, we're going to – this is the separating moment. And Kentucky, let's just be honest, they got more talent than us. And so they're the more talented team playing at home, a place they haven't lost a game this year, and then you're missing your best post player. You'd say, okay, well, we got a chance. We'll go ahead and quit right here. This is when This is when we'll mail it in. The Kentucky lead swells to 16. It's 16.50 to go after a uh, Keelan Grady three-pointer. The guy had a good night, too. But State refused to go. Molinar again gets to the rim, uh, makes a layup, and then we're in the ballgame. And next thing you know, you look up and, okay, we're down 11. And you think, hey, if we can get a basket here and get this thing under 10, we can make it interesting. Well, sure enough, we do. Molinar again gets to the rim. And how good is that guy at finishing? You know, he, he's not the biggest guy. But he's very crafty around the rim. This is a guy, too, not scared to get in there in the traffic, absorb contact. He's one of the better free throw shooters in the conference. And so it's a win-win for us. I mean, short of a turnover, which is pretty rare for Iverson. 
you know, when we isolate and give him a chance to drive to the rim, because he is so good at pulling up and that stop and pop late in the ball game was absolutely ridiculous. But we get the layup, and now it's a nine-point game, and you could sense a little bit of unrest in Kentucky. They take it back out, back out to 15. You think, okay, all right, well, they've survived our little run here. And then you look up late, just over 10 minutes to go in the game, we're back within 10. And a matter of fact, we're within nine. We've got it less than that. And then DJ Jeffries rams home a three, and he is not the most prolific three-point shooter by any stretch, or sometimes he takes some ill-advised shots. But he knocks this three down, and now it's a six-point game, and you could really see in the countenance of the Mississippi State team, like, hey, we can do this. We can make this happen. I thought Kentucky was reeling just a little bit. Uh, they do get a jumper, and then they got take it back out to a 10-point lead with just over eight to go. And then Shaquille Moore, and how money has that guy been for us, man? Where would we be without Shaquille Moore? We talk all the time about our Iverson needs, kind of like a complimentary player in the backcourt. Well, Shaquille Moore has stepped up and taken that responsibility. And it seems like he plays his best basketball like in the last 10 minutes of the game. There's some clutch in Shaquille Moore. Well, he rams home a three. Now it's a seven-point game. Kind of goes back and forth for a while. And then, again, 6.26 to go. Shaquille drops another bomb. And now we're within four. Kentucky has to call a timeout. They wanted to be excited and rub, but you could tell they were kind of sitting on their hands a little bit, like, well, what is happening? This Mississippi State team, without Tolu Smith, it's not, not a very prolific three-point shooting team. They've knocked down some big shots here late, and it's a four-point ball game. At this point, I started to believe. You know, it's like you're almost afraid to. You say, oh, I don't want to invest in this because I think we're just going to get disappointed. And, you know, ultimately we did. But, again, I was encouraged by our effort. Javian Davis, who I thought gave us some good minutes, knocked down a pair of free throws. Now it's a two-point game. Kentucky counters. Brooks makes a jumper. And then Shaquille Moore again. Rams home a three. Now it's a one-point game. They go down and miss a three. We get a foul. And uh, we've got a chance here to make some things happen. They make the free throw, make one of two. And then we tie the game up. DJ Jeffries gets fouled, going to the rim on rebound. Knocks down a pair of free throws. It is a 62 all-ball game. And then Kentucky decided, you know what, we're going to go into our guy. We're going to go down low. We're going to try to exploit the mismatch. You don't really have anybody uh, that can lean on Big Oscar. Again, I love that guy's game. The guy's phenomenal. Plays with great effort. He's a guy that even though that he, he plays well against your team, you can only respect his effort. You know, he just he's not one of those guys that draws negative attention to himself. He just plays a good brand of basketball. Well, he gets a dunk, very emphatic, gets a rough arena on their feet. We go right down again. Molinar to the rim, lays it up and in. It's a 64-all ball game. It felt like this was a big defining moment in the ball game, though. They go back into the post, and Toshibi up and in and gets the hoop and harm, makes the free throw, gives them a three-point advantage, and it felt like we might be getting ready to go away. We turn the ball over. Wheeler lays it up and in for them, advances to lead to 69-64 with under three minutes to play. And I'll be honest, I was about ready to pack it in right here. I said, well, this is it. You know, I mean, this is it. You know, Kentucky will close us out. But Molinar and the Bulldogs wouldn't go away. Make the big jumper, cuts it to three. They miss. We pull down a rebound. Cam Matthews just, again, does all the grunt work. He's not a prolific scorer. 
Just a guy that sets good screens, plays good defense, pulls down rebounds, not scared to get in there and play a physical brand of basketball. And at times he, he's got to learn to play better without fouling, but the reality of it is he was big. We get the ball back out to Molinar, what do you know? It is a 69-68 ball game. State trails by one. They make a couple free throws uh, to push it back out to three. Under a minute to play, Molinar again to the paint, makes a layup, 71-70. And you're thinking, hey, if we can get a stop right here, we got a chance to take the final shot, win this game at Kentucky. Well, they ended up making a free throw. They made one of two. Oscar Tashibi misses the front end. Now it's a two-point ball game. That was a huge miss because it gives Mississippi State a chance to basically – Uh, run the set. Now, here's the thing that I will say, one criticism that I will offer. I didn't like rushing there at the end. And, of course, Molinar gets to the line and makes the free throws. But I'm thinking at that point, let's not give them an opportunity. We go down and make a play, and even if we take a lead there, you don't want to give them a chance uh, at a final shot. Well, Molinar gets to the line, makes them both, ties the game. So now Kentucky inbounds 22 seconds to go. They wait and start their offense in about 10 seconds. And we did a great job defending. And, again, this is where I give, uh, you know, Javian Davis and those guys, uh, you know, some real credit. They get in there and they lean on Tashibi a little bit and kind of deny that entry pass to the post. They have to jack up uh, a three-pointer that hits off the rim and, and no good. And Cam Matthews guys up and pulls it down. So there was no – second-chance points there uh, for Kentucky. And you're thinking, you know what, maybe we've missed our best chance to win it, but you know what, we're still playing basketball. And this is where I think the moment may have gotten a little too big for us. I think they were absolutely determined not to let Iverson Molinar beat them. They're going to make somebody else. But we had our opportunities to take the lead in overtime. And remember, it's a 72-72 ball game at the end of regulation. We score one basket in overtime. Just two points. They go down, miss a jumper. We get the opportunity. Shaquille Moore pulls the rebound. And then DJ Jeffries misses a layup in the paint. A difficult shot probably forced the action a little too much. But we got to score there. You got to score. They pull down a rebound, and then Grady misses a three. And, again, we get the rebound. We're ready to go. Iverson Molinar then misses a three-pointer. Off his hand, I thought it was in because it seemed like the guy could just do no wrong. But we pulled down an offensive rebound. Javian Davis gets it. And rather than, um, you know, dish it back out and set up a set, we kind of force up a shot there and we missed the layup. And again, it was a difficult shot with the guy in his face. But that's two missed layups on back to back possessions from Mississippi State. That, to me, I thought that was really the defining moment in overtime. You've got a chance to take a lead on the road. And, again, I think the moment got a little bit big for us. I really do. I I thought they were determined to not let Molinar beat them. And some other guys, I tried to step up and just couldn't get the job done. They pulled down a rebound. Grady gets a layup on the other end, makes it 74-72. We go right back down and score. Iverson, again, scores our only basket of overtime, but tied again at 74. So at 243 to play, it is a tie ball game. It is basically – a three-minute game. we got to be better than him for three minutes. And sadly, we weren't. Grady knocks down a big three. Cam Matthews throws up a three-pointer that we miss. We get a great rebound. Again, Javian Davis in there doing the Lord's work. We get it out to DJ Jeffries, 
an ill-advised three-point attempt here. Of course, it would have tied the ball game. He didn't shoot it in rhythm. You know, discretion's the better part of Valor. You probably got to pull that out, reset a little bit. We didn't. We forced a shot there. And next thing you know, they drill another three, and it's 80 to 74 with a minute 13 to go. And at that point, it felt like the game is over. It really did. I think the Kentucky fans felt it. I think we felt it as well. We get back in the ball game, turn it over. Uh, Garrison Brooks trying to drive to the basket, just loses the handle. Wheeler picks it up. We end up fouling, and it really a good foul by Cam Matthews. It's like it's a six-point ball game, and we're going to foul him, put him on the line, but we're not going to give him a dunk. One of two from the line from Wheeler. It's a seven-point ball game with 40 seconds, and it's going to take a lot of help here for this to happen. Uh, again, we just couldn't make it happen. End up having a foul, and, um, you know, they made the two free throws and makes it an eight-point game, and that's it. You know, and I may have gotten the last – Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y, official.com, forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. 
She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Went wrong, you know, but Iverson Molnar uh, misses the late layup. And again, we lose the ball game. Okay, that's the reality of it. We lose the game. But it's a game we didn't even expect to be in, to be honest with you. I know all of us thinking, hey, I, you know, I, just, I hope so. You feel this. Doesn't always work out. Kentucky wins the first half, 37-24. Mississippi State wins the second half, 48-35. If somebody told you that we would go on the road at Rupp and nearly put up a half a hundred in the second half, you probably wouldn't have believed it. I don't know that I would have believed it. But we did it. And we offensively, we are there are many times that we are very offensively challenged. And I think sometimes, and I thought we saw this last night, let's just kind of simplify things and run some sets from Molinar, get some screens, and then kind of let him operate. Let him be the floor general. Let him decide if he wants to get to the rim, uh, pull up or dish out. I think that he's, he's the guy. And I venture to say, you know, history may not be kind to Iverson Molinar because – I don't know that he's played on great teams at Mississippi State, but he is a great player at Mississippi State. And I think he is the guy that can lead us to the tournament. I think he is very, very difficult to guard. Even And here's the thing, too. I mean, Kentucky recruits in the top ten every year. They could not keep him in front of them. They absolutely could not defend him off the dribble. Kentucky. And so if we're going to continue to run some of these sets, we're going to continue to give Iverson Molinar – you know, some autonomy here. There are going to be some average to mediocre teams in the SEC. They're going to really struggle. Iverson Mullen, I put up 30 on the road at Kentucky. One of the more talented teams that we're going to face the rest of the year, whether we make the tournament or not. Kentucky is a team that is in contention uh, to be, you know, top two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. You know, maybe that's a little bit ambitious. They can't afford to lose them anymore. This is a very talented Kentucky team. Are they a NAFL championship team? You know, probably not. But they're a very, very, very solid NCAA tournament team. It's almost like going and playing all them football. You know, it's like at some point you expect their ghosts to show up, and for Kentucky they did. You know, in a tie ball game in the, in the final moments, more times than not the five-star is going to find a way to win. There's a reason there's a five-star. Iverson Molinar, kind of a lightly recruited guy out of Panama, has come in here and really kind of electrified this fan base. Everybody pulls for Iverson, and he plays the game the right way. You don't see him out there doing a bunch of look-at-me stuff. This is a very, very, very good basketball player. You don't need me to tell you that, but there are a lot of things about Iverson Molinar that I like, and I know you guys share that. And it's not just the fact that he scores. It's the way he goes about things. Good defender, too. Molinar, 36 minutes of action, 13 of 21 from the floor. He was 0 for 3 from the three-point line, though, and one of those obviously came in overtime. 4-4 from the line, pulls down three rebounds, had three turnovers, a couple blocks, uh, three steals, 30 points. Garrison Brooks, pretty good game for him, even though he had uh, some moments there where 
he didn't finish. And uh, he's ordinarily a pretty good free throw shooter, just two of eight from the line. If he makes one of those free throws in regulation, we, we win the ball game. So, you know, and I, this one thing I give Ben Howland some credit for. You know, we talked a couple years ago about, you know, hey, you had a guy come through when you had to have it. He goes, you know, Steve, we always have to have it. And he's right about that. You know, it's like, hey, you go two of eight from the line, if you shoot 50%, we win the ball game. Because you always have to have it. I mean, it, the final score is the sum of your effort the, the entire ball game, right? And so I don't want to, you know, pin this on Garrison Brooks by any stretch of imagination. There was enough room to go around, you know, for us to make some, some plays there. But Garrison Brooks, I mean, that, that's the stat that jumps out to me is that, you know, hey, we're a little bit better to free throw line from him. It's a different ball game. 11 points, five rebounds. And, and it's a tough task. You're kind of dealing with Big Oscar down there, and the Garrison helped out at times. I thought Javian Davis, even though he didn't score a lot, I thought Javian uh, gave us some pretty good minutes. Shaquille Moore, nine points. And, and it's, again, when we absolutely had to have them. And you always have to have them. But as we're trying to cap that big run to climb back into the ball game, it's Shaquille Money Moore. Every time he lets it go, I think it's going in. When we get down late in the ball game, it's like when you know that everybody's going to be collapsing on Iverson, my confidence in Shaquille Moore is just as high. Maybe not throughout the flow of the ball game, but late, this guy's got some clutch in him. 38 minutes of action, again, just the nine points. Three of four from the three-point line. We, only, we were only six of 19 as a team. That's the thing you think about, too. You make one more three-pointer in a regulation, you win the game. It's pretty crazy. Uh, DJ Jeffries had some moments. I thought he played pretty well defensively. But, again, we're not seeing the big you know, scoring input from him. He will make a big basket every now and again and hit a couple of big free throws for us, uh, pull down four rebounds. The, I do like the physicality that he brings. I do think that we are a physically tough team. We just kind of faced a difficult matchup, you know, with uh, with Oscar Tashibi last night. He didn't draw that, that assignment. But, uh, you know, Kentucky, a very physical brand of basketball for sure. And uh, Cam Matthews, four points. And, uh, you know, nice contribute from Rocket Watts, too, uh, nine points. Uh, from him, 17 minutes of action, and uh, good to have him back. So, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Oscar Tashibi and the game that he had, and of course, I, I feel like that I'm being his agent. It's one thing to watch a guy play against other teams, but but you earn a new level of respect when you see him play against your team, like especially when you know the quality of players that you have. And Tashibi. <laughs> 37 minutes. Remember, he turned his ankle. And, and that's really when we kind of made that decisive run is they had a couple guys on the bench uh, due to some injury. They didn't stay long. They were hurt, not injured. This guy's 7-11 from the floor, 7-11 from the line, 22 rebounds, seven of those offensive. That's where, I, that's where the Tolu-Smith factor to me. Let, let's say, what if Tolu's in there and we hold him to 19 rebounds instead of 22? That's a couple of extra possessions for us. In a tight ball game, it all matters. But 21 points, really, really impressed with him. He did have a few turnovers. A couple times he put it on the floor and lost it. And, uh, you know, Keelan Grady knocked down 18, 4 of 11 from three. And this is not a prolific three-pointing shooting team, but they made him when it mattered most. Six of 23. And the perimeter defense has kind of been our Achilles heel we held Keelan Grady to two of nine most of the game, and then in overtime he knocks down back-to-back threes. And, again, that's what great players do. So that's your wrap. And, uh, you know, I'm not, not going to review the standings. We'll do that later uh, in, on Friday. 
Mississippi State got a tall order uh, coming up playing Texas Tech. We knew this was going to be a difficult week. But after playing as well as we did, and, and to be fair to Ben Howen, you know, we've been a difficult road team at times during his stretch. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you know, he gets his guys ready to go play on the floor on the road. You know, sure, there are exceptions to that, but, you know, we don't fold just because we have to go put on a dark curler jersey and go play in front of somebody else's crowd. What's interesting, too, you know, we talked about we didn't have Tolu, but we still had 38 points in the paint. Some of those, two are those dribble drives by Iverson Molinar. Uh, Ten points off turnovers, just a three-second chance points. That's one of those stats that just jumps out of the box score. Just three. And, again, that goes along with Oscar's big night of rebounding. And, again, kind of illustrates the point I'm making. You know, if, if we just do a little bit better job of rebounding, and it's difficult when you've got a future pro like him in there kind of wrecking shop, that's where I think the Tolu Smith factor shows up. And, again, it's not his fault, but this is just the reality of life. We get 11 fast break points, 10 from the bench. The game is tied seven times. It only changed lead uh, twice. That's it. Looking at the Kentucky numbers, too. They had 36 points in the paint. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much a you know, back-and-forth deal there. But, again, 13 second-chance points. That's a 10-point differential right there. 10 points. Big difference. That, that's where I think Toulouse Smith's absence shows up is when, you know, they, get, they can rebound and reset the offense. Uh, and, again, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's the reality of it. But um, I am encouraged. I hate losing. I hate losing more than I love winning. But at the same time, too, while we lost, I thought we lost and learned something about our team. And I think that they won't quit. They absolutely will not quit. I I thought we got a little bit gassed late, and our shot selection was awful in overtime. Not going to excuse that in any way whatsoever. But we didn't quit. And I think we're seeing, too, that Iverson Molinar is a guy, no matter who tries to defend him, he can get out there and make plays. This is, you know, we've had some guys in the past that they go up there and light up a non-conference and kind of beat up on, you know, the lower half of the SEC. This guy just went in there and knocked down 30 in Rupp Arena and took Kentucky to overtime. And granted, it's a team effort. But that's what stars do. Your stars have to shine their brightest in the biggest games. And listen, immediately some of the commentary, and because we're also mostly invested, people are like, oh, man, I can't believe we lost. Like that. You know, it's like, oh, late in the ball game. You know, and guys, too, again, you know, late ball games, a lot of times it boils down to coaching. But at the end of time, too, you got to execute. You know, when you're on the floor, you can't let your emotions get the better of you and force up a bad shot just hoping the basketball guy smile on you. You got to keep playing basketball. But not upset. Obviously disappointed with the result, pleased with the effort. But we've got to build from this. You know, we can't go show up in Lubbock and get beat by 30. You know, we I think we've got a chance to go get that win. And you can say, well, Steve, they, you know, they played a classic game with Kansas the other night. Yeah, it's true. And so did we. I think we're capable of going out there and winning. Will we win? I'm not ready to call that. But I don't think that at this point that it'd be fair to count Mississippi State out. I think we're going to be a difficult out. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E, Close with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. If you were looking to refinance your mortgage, and maybe you are, maybe you need to get your equity working for you, consolidate some debt, get some cash out to do some home improvements, or perhaps you want to take a vacation, maybe you got to pay for a wedding, who knows? 
But the reality of it is you have some assets that are available to you that are perhaps untapped. Blair can help you with that. Or perhaps the dream of a home ownership has eluded you. Deal with a professional like Blair Chandler. In the top 1% close ratio, one of the top mortgage, one of the institutions in the country, Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer experiences. So you're getting a great company. You're getting a great guy that's doing it for 21 years. You know, anybody that does anything for 21 years has some staying power, right? I mean, listen, let's all be honest. We all bounce around. We kind of find where, what, where we fit. But anybody that puts in two decades in one industry knows what they're doing. Deal with a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler. And by being a Boneyard listener, no matter who you cheer for, you give him this information, he's going to pay for your appraisal. Say, you know, Blair, I know that you uh, sponsored a Boneyard. I heard about you on the Boneyard. I listened to the Boneyard too. He's going to pay for that appraisal. That's about a five to $600 value. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage, but because Blair wants your business, he's willing to pay for it. So whether you talk to him by text or by phone, be sure to let him know that you heard about him on the Boneyard. And here's the deal. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. How about that? Personal cell number. Not his office phone, not the receptionist phone, not some you know voicemail or something like that. I'm going to let you hit him up on his hip, as they used to say. You can text him or call him at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Again, that's closewithblair.com. Okay, so some of you Boneyard regulars that uh, really love a top 10 list are very good at sending lists. And some of these are very, very creative. Some of them are not. Yeah, some people, to be honest with you, some people mention some artists that I just don't think, number one, I could do the list justice, and I don't want to disrespect the fans of those bands or those artists. I mean, like, honestly, I had somebody ask me to do an Ann Murray list. Now, when I was a kid, Ann Murray was a big superstar. Uh, Ann Murray's not really in my wheelhouse. I respect Ann Murray as an artist. I don't think that I could put that list together. Even I don't know that I could make it through listening to like the essentials and then putting a list together. I, I just don't. And so I kind of elect not to do those. But the reality of it is we're pretty well versed on the boneyard when it comes to music. All right, so we got a challenge. I said, hey, Steve, how about top 10 songs from bands with colors in their name. So here is our colorful classic rock list. I'm actually going to do a two-parter. We're going to come back on Friday, and we're going to do modern rock. Not and Listen, we're not going to do 80s as much as I would love to. Maybe we do that another time. Because you got White Snake, and you, know, you got Great White. You got White Lion. We could almost put together a list of uh, you know, bands with just white in their names. And we could do black. Right? I mean, there's just, we could do blue. There's some, a lot red. We're not doing 80s. I can't bring myself to call the 80s classic rock. And maybe it's because I refuse to date myself. So, this classic rock list is not going to have White Snake. But every list could probably have White Snake. I mean, it probably could. And if you don't follow David Coverdale on Twitter, let me encourage you to do so. Uh, Dave Coverdale, not in, in, a, in addition to being a great singer, is hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. A little bit risque at times. But follow David Coverdale on Twitter. You'll be glad you did his wit 
and uh, his jokes are hilarious. And, and occasionally he'll share some music stuff too. But Dave Coverdale, I, and to be honest with you, I don't know that Dave Coverdale gets enough respect. I mean, the guy was in Deep Purple. Next thing you know, he's you know, White Snake. I remember when, when we saw Still of the Night, when they dropped the Still of the Night video on MTV. It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Who are these guys? And you're like, oh, you don't remember that song, Love Ain't No Stranger? Yeah, I remember hearing that on the Rock of New Orleans. Well, then next thing you know, we buy that self-titled album. Then we go back and buy, you know, slide it in. Next thing you know, there's trouble. And we go back and listen to the whole catalog, and it's like, how did I not know more about these guys? So, again, my David Coverdale tribute is over. But uh, Dave, one of the best blues singers of all time, of all time. And some would say, well, you know, Steve, he's kind of, kind of a Robert Plant cover guy. I completely disagree. Completely disagree. Completely. I mean, Robert did a great job. Uh, obviously, he's a vocalist, one of the greatest vocalists of all time. But uh, David Coverdale had some good runs with Deep Purple. And we're going to actually got Deep Purple on the list today. But it's not a Coverdale song, ironically. All right, so there are some kind of one-hit wonders, and we kind of relaxed the rules a little bit because I wanted to get some um, – there's some bands I wanted to get in here because kind of their signature song is a, uh, a cover that I think is pretty cool. So we're going to start number 10 on your list, the band Vanilla Fudge. Yeah, that's right. You didn't think that was coming. They actually – their claim to fame – is a cover of a Supreme song, You Keep Me Hanging On. I like their version. It's not, okay, it's not as good as the Diana Ross and the Supreme's version. It's not. But it is very interesting. The arrangement is different. They tone it down a little bit. They rock it up, but they slow it down some, so it's kind of got that you know, darker feel to it. And it just, it's a different take on a song. I really dig it. I wish they would re-release it, maybe remaster it. But because we're familiar with the Supreme's massive hit, it kind of makes this one, to me, you know, kind of unique. Number nine, the name of the band is Black Oak, Arkansas. You know, Jim Dandy, of course, uh, kind of the leader of Black Oak, Arkansas. When I was a kid, Cousin Ruby, Ruby Starr, was among my first crushes. I would say Ruby Starr and then uh, the Lander Sisters and uh, Catherine Bach. That's Duke, right? I mean, right? We couldn't even watch Dukes of Hazard without getting uncomfortable because you know, she was so beautiful. You know, but uh, Ruby Starr... I got into an argument with my uncle as a kid. I mean, I was a little bitty, you know, five, six years old. And there was this picture of Ruby Starr in some uh, music magazine that he had. And he was throwing the magazine out. You know, he'd read it. You know, I, I kept all my music magazines for years and years and years until, you know, my mom threw them out. But um, there was a picture of Ruby Starr, and I took the picture. And I kept it in my room. And then eventually he came and reclaimed it and told me I was too young to have it. You know, it's not like she was undressed or anything. I mean, she was kind of scantily clad. But uh, my point being, you know, she, she had on uh, you know, some blue jean shorts and a bikini top, if I remember correctly. But we got into a knockdown drag out. You know, I was living with my grandparents at the time. My uncle was a, a guitarist in a band called Phoenix uh, out of South Mississippi. And uh, I was ready to throw, man. I mean, even as a little kid, I was ready to throw punches because, like, you know, you're going to take this from me. You were throwing it out. And so we have talked about that, and sadly, he's in, in poor health these days. But um, we had a, a fight over Ruby Star, God rest her soul. But the name of the song is actually Uncle Elijah. Black Oak, Arkansas, 
is one of those great Southern bands that have this incredible image. They're a lot like Leonard Skinner, just not quite as good. And that's no disrespect. I mean, cause, I mean honestly, it's kind of like comparing yourself, you know, to one of the most legendary recording artists of all time. Uh, but Uncle Elijah is probably my favorite Black Oak, Arkansas, Black Oak, Arkansas song. So I wanted to share that with you, maybe expand your Southern rock horizons a little bit. Number eight, also a cover song. And you know, I love covers on here, but we try to keep them off the list. But again, I wanted to get Blue Cheer on here too. They covered uh, uh, Cochran's Summertime Blues. That was a big hit years ago. I like Blue Cheer's version. I don't, I won't say I like it better, but I do like their arrangement. I like their rendition of it. They're a band too that, uh, you know, kind of hit or miss at times. They actually reunited earlier this decade, spent some time on the road. So check that one out too. Number seven, and I, this was important to me. I wanted to get uh, Blondie and Debbie Harry on the list. The thing about Debbie Harry that I don't know that people fully appreciate is the versatility that she has as an artist. You know, like in Rapture, there are people that believe Rapture was like the first actual rap. Like there's a rap portion in that, and she even mentions Fab Five Freddy from New York, right? And we Fab Five Freddy, of course, hosted the first uh, few seasons of Yo! MTV Raps. And so I'm not trying in any way trying to say Debbie Harry's a rapper, but just to kind of show her versatility, you know, they had that. She had all this adult contemporary stuff. She was very radio friendly. But at her heart, Debbie Harry was a rocker. You go back and look at some of her earlier stuff. Yeah, you know, there was almost kind of some punk influence in everything she did. And so I wanted to go with a bit of a rocker. And so we went with Call Me from Blondie as your number seven song. Call Me from Blondie. An incredible performer. Absolutely incredible. And again, you know, it's... As we've all gotten older at times, we kind of forget how huge certain artists were. Blondie was everywhere in the early 80s. Here, and here's the thing, too. I mean, she wasn't just, hey, well, this, there's this platinum blonde. It's really pretty. Let's put her out here. No, she can go, man. She can really sing. I mean, it didn't make any difference, you know, what you, you, know, what you dressed her up as. She could have just put on a baseball cap and pulled it back in a ponytail and still get out there and belt out these big notes. Debbie Harry and Blondie, an incredible act. Number six, many of you know this band because of Saturday Night Live, because of the Cowbell skit, right, with Will Ferrell. We play that at Duty, I mean, Duty no, we play it at uh, Davis Wade Stadium. It's Blue Oyster Cult. I could have gone with Don't Fear the Reaper. I elected not to because I, know, I think all of you know that one. And actually, my favorite Blue Oyster Cult song is not Don't Fear the Reaper. It's Burning for You. I absolutely dig this one. I think I think a modern rock band today should cover this song. They have matured so much as a band when this thing dropped. The harmonies on the chorus are great, but they're not like huge 80s choruses. These guys could really play. They could really sing. And nobody really talks about it. You know, it them or BTO, to be honest with you. It's like nobody really talks about those bands anymore. And that's why I wanted to kind of maybe give you something that you maybe you weren't quite as familiar with, especially you younger guys. Number five, this song actually appeared in the Miami Vice soundtrack. You can say, well, Steve, I thought we weren't doing 80s. Well, we're talking about the band Golden Earring. They reunited in the 80s and uh, really had new life in that band. Of course, many of you know Golden Earring from Radar Love, which is an absolute classic song. 
It's a great driving song. And I actually like White Lion's version of it. I think they did a great job on the song. Um, but I went with Twilight Zone off the Miami Vice soundtrack. That's one of those songs that just kind of gets me going. You know, there are some songs maybe you don't hear very often, and all of a sudden you hear it, and you're like, why don't, why don't I have this in my playlist? Why haven't I downloaded this? Why haven't I listened to this in forever? This is one of those songs. When you put it on, you're going to be like, oh, I remember this. It's almost like putting on an old pair of jeans. All right, number four. So I told you guys I was a big Skinner fan. And if you're from Mississippi, I think it's kind of like a prerequisite. Sometimes when I'm riding around, like if I ride over to Auburn or Tuscaloosa, I'll listen to Mississippi Kid. You know, and if you know the song, you know why. Um, But I'm a big Ricky Medlock fan, too. And uh, Ricky Medlock was a member of Leonard Skinner and is back in Skinner now. But there was a time that he was a member of both Leonard Skinner and Blackfoot. And matter of fact, Ricky sings lead on a couple songs on Skinner's first and last uh, back in 78. I guess that's, I think it's right. Um, but anyway, the bottom line is, is that um, Ricky Medlock is a guy that, again, kind of a Southern rock legend and uh, a guy that's actually in the Native American Music Hall of Fame. Uh, I can't remember what tribe he's from, but you know, Ricky is a guy, too, that uh, I remember. And I don't know that he coined the phrase. But he talked about, you know, life on the road in the 70s in a rock and roll band. He said that uh, kind of his motto for living was live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. Um, well, he didn't. He, I'm sure he lived fast. But he, Ricky's still around. And, of course, back with Skinner. And um, he was part of one of the great, great Southern rock songs. We've had this on the song on the show before. I love everything about this song. There, there are a few songs in life that I've talked about before that I think are perfect. This is one of them. And, and I don't know that I could put a list together of perfect songs, but when I think about perfect Southern rock songs, and I've even got some problems with some things on Freebird. I know that's sacrilegious, and I'm going to get some hate mail for that. You know, there are some times in Freebird that it kind of drags a little bit. Not Train Train, though. Train Train from Blackfoot is one of those songs from start to finish just makes you feel like it's you're on a, you know, on a ride. It's, and like you're always sad that it's over. So you, I'm going to listen to it again. There are some songs that aren't long enough. Train Train from Blackfoot is one of them. Number three, even though I wasn't a huge fan of this band, many of you are, and uh, we've had several requests for a top ten list from Pink Floyd. I hadn't done it, but uh, they're your number three colorful band, classic rock colorful band. And I I went with the, the tried and true classic, Another Brick in the Wall, part two. If you never watched The Wall, let me encourage you to do that. Many of you think, oh, there's so much weird stuff out here. You have not seen weird until you have seen The Wall. Watch The Wall. They used to play it at the planetarium. And then let's just say that some people would um, would take some mood-enhancing type um, medication and go watch The Wall at the planetarium because of how crazy it is. They don't do that kind of stuff anymore, I don't think. I think all that ended when I when I quit. But uh, anyway, another brick in the wall, Pink Floyd, number three. Number two, now, some are going to argue and say, hey, Steve, I don't like this band as much as Pink Floyd, and that's okay. That is perfectly okay. But I love Deep Purple. I love every version of Deep Purple. You go all the way back, you know, to the late 60s, early 70s. You go back to Highway Star or Smoke on the Water. It is incredible what the catalog Deep Purple has. 
I love it. They're a true rock and roll legendary band. But I went with a more modern song. I say more modern. Really not maybe in their heyday. I love the Perfect Strangers album. I do. I think it's great from start to finish. Uh, probably a little bit underutilized by the radio DJs of our time. You know, everybody's like, well, we'll play Smoke on the Water. We'll play Highway Star and call it a day. I, you know, no, no, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. But I went with Knocking at Your Back Door. I love the song. I love how it all, it's kind of, it's like that synth part at the beginning and it kind of begins to build and then the guitar comes in. You know, and Richie Blackmore, you know, people forget you know, it's like, and that's the thing, too, that I love about doing these lists and stuff. It gives me a chance to talk about some of these legendary musicians and maybe introduce them to people, and you know, new fans. But if you don't know much about Richie Blackmore, let me encourage you, just go put in Richie Blackmore Wikipedia and, and then just sit there and read for a while. The guy was an in, incredibly intriguing person and an incredible guitarist. But um, he was a guy, too, that uh, had these eclectic qualities about himself that uh, really kind of set him apart. He wasn't like your typical rocker. I mean, he had the rock and roll lifestyle, obviously, but uh, a little more to him than I think people fully appreciate. But number one on the list, could have gone a lot of different directions, with Black Sabbath, your number one band, classic rock band, with a color in their name, is Black Sabbath. I could have done a bunch of different stuff here, but I decided, you know what, let's go out on a song that we all know, that makes you want to get your fist in the air. And I think every metal band at some point in their history has played this, whether it be in the garage rehearsal or as a, you know, as a cover song live, but it's paranoid. And uh, I actually like the live version better. And again, we talk about guitar players, you know, Tommy Ayami is just one of those guys. There are a lot of metal bands and albums and songs that kind of draw lineage to Paranoid and this, you know, this Black Sabbath version with Ozzy. I mean, we talk about when music really changed, Black Sabbath, you know, brought in a lot of this dark imagery and you know, sang about things and they tuned down. And next thing you know, people kind of responded. And it was really the birth of a new genre in music. It absolutely was. All that stuff, like all that stuff, you know, with... You know, with Motley and Iron Maiden and all, everybody was being more mysterious and, you know, trying to be, you know, a little darker with the stuff they did. All of that, all of that is just really, you know, rooted in Black Sabbath. And I don't think people fully appreciate that. And people say, oh, you know, Ozzy's great. You know, yeah, well, Ozzy was great before he was just Ozzy. Ozzy was great when he was in Black Sabbath. And Black Sabbath continued uh, for a while after that. You know, Ronnie James Dio was a singer for a while. If memory serves me correct, Ray Gillen from Badlands was a singer for a while. And so Black Sabbath's an institution. And so I don't know that you could put a list together like this. And it's weird to have Blondie and Black Sabbath together, but we do. A very interesting list. I know a lot of these uh, songs and bands you're familiar with, and maybe perhaps you haven't listened to in a while. But we're going to come back on Friday, and we're going to do modern rock. Modern rock is in like, you know, this century. So I'm not going back to the 80s. Maybe we do that another time. But uh, we're going to knock this out. Some modern rock bands that, um, that have a great, great, great sound. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a, a, a spoiler. Uh, there's going to be a band on that list called Black Tide. 
Black Tide. If you're unfamiliar with them, maybe do a crash course in the next couple days. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's thank our good friends at Campus Bookmart. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Great people, man, doing a great job at a great price. Campus Bookmart, a Stark Villigan institution. I had a lot of people tell me, hey, Steve, I didn't shop at Campus Bookmart until they began sponsoring the Boneyard. Now I wonder why I waited so long. What are you waiting for? Great selection, great food, great food, great people. Sometimes I get a little bit tongue-tied. Uh, but, yeah, I guess Stan will probably feed you, too, if you're, if you're starving. But the reality of it is you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise. You're going to find the great selection at Campus Bookmark. Miss Kathy Brown does a fantastic job uh, buying and finding items. And you know, well, Here's the thing, too, I don't know you guys appreciate. Every week during football season, Kathy Brown puts together a victory shirt. What I mean by that is, is she'll contact licensing at Mississippi State and she'll already have a logo designed and approved and ready to go. So just in case we beat Alabama or in case we beat A&M or whoever, as soon as the game is over, they will, they will send that order out, and then those shirts will be printed, and they'll be on sale like the next day or two. And so that's how forward-thinking they are at Campus Bookmart. It's not just a place where you just go, hey, let me go get an MOVRS shirt. There's a lot of thought and care that goes into the business that they run there. And I think we should respect that effort by patronizing that business. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take some time and talk about this Rakia Jackson situation. Now, I've heard some things. And sometimes they're impossible to verify. And to be honest with you, some things are not made for public consumption. There are some things that just shouldn't be made public. And I'm not going to talk about those. I'm going to respect the people that are involved in all this. And, uh, you know, at some point, I mean, here's the deal. At the end of the day, the thing that I want to kind of get to this, at some point we have all been in situations when we couldn't work with other people. You say, well, I can work with anybody. But deep down, maybe you don't want to. And so basically what has happened is here is there has been kind of an abrasive relationship between Mississippi State basketball and Rakia Jackson for some time. And this dates back to Vic. I mean, this isn't just, you know, a, a new occurrence. But um, at the end of the day, you know, there's all this discussion. People are like, oh, my gosh, something must be going wrong that she's kind of fleeing from. At, at the end of the day is we just couldn't work together anymore. That, that, that's the bottom line. We just simply could not work together anymore, and it was not totally her decision to go in the portal. I'm told that she was actually encouraged to uh, consider transfer options. Now, you wish she could have made it work. She's obviously a very talented player, you know, leading the SEC in scoring, and now she's gone. And so then you think, hey, why don't we just cancel the rest of the season? Well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to, nor should we do that. It's kind of like people like, oh, we should have just canceled the ball game. Listen, we never cancel a game because we think we're going to lose. What about the other ladies out there? They're like, hey, you know, I want to go out here and play and, and contribute and do the best I can. I want to play for my teammates. What about Maya Taylor? So we're going to cancel because we're afraid we're going to lose to Ole Miss again? Nah. They beat us, they beat us. They're a better team than us anyway. But what if we win? What if we, what if we somehow get hot down the stretch? You know, I don't know where the offense is going to come from. I don't know. I really don't. I, I don't think the prognosis for this season is very good.
we kind of knew that coming in. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy. But, yeah, it's, it is what it is. And people say, well, you know, I hate that phrase. Well, you know, I use it all the time. I can't make the situation any better or any worse than what it is. Mississippi State's leading scorer on the women's side has left the team. Entered the NCAA transfer portal. And here's one of the things I want to caution you guys about, too. And, um, and I don't say this specifically about, you know, any one individual. And so don't misconstrue what I say. But, like, sometimes we get caught up in this, you know, cult of personality at times. And, you know, we think, hey, well, you know, everybody here is faultless. You know, it's like if, if something is ever goes wrong, we have kind of a blame Mississippi State first mentality. Oh, well, something's got to be wrong. Doug Novak's got to be in the wrong. Mississippi State women's basketball's got to be in the wrong. That's not always the case. That's not to say they should be immune from criticism. I mean, hey, when we lose, hey, hey, you know, you got a right to be upset. When things don't go well, because we're invested in this. We are shareholders in the Mississippi State Athletics experience. You buy tickets, you wear the, you wear the merchandise. Now you buy the books, hopefully. I mean, you know, it's like there's always something, and we feel like, hey, this is my program. I'm invested in this, not just emotionally, but financially. You know, we go out and we, we support the team. When, when possible, we're in the stands cheering for all of our team, whether it be women's basketball, men's basketball, whatever. And, you know, here's the deal. And uh, I share this with as much, you know, care and concern as I can. And you can draw from this whatever you'd like to. That's completely up to you. You know, being a leader is difficult, and most people can't do it. Most people, they think they can, but they can't. You know, it's easy to lead in times of prosperity. Anybody can lead then. You know, like you've got a generational player. Just ask Gene Chizik, right? Gene Chizik at Auburn. You had Cam Newton, a generational talent, led you to an AFL championship, and everybody's like, hey, look at this. And Cam leaves, and it's like, holy smokes, look at this. What happened? But at least you have an AFL championship, right? Those things happen. It's difficult to lead through times of adversity. But true leaders do their best. And here's the thing about being a coach, and I have been a coach much of my life, uh, and not just at the upper-bound basketball, all due respect to you upward coaches. A coach in high school. Played in high school. But here's the deal, and I've also been in management most of my life too. But here's the thing about being a coach. And when I was in retail management, that was one of the things that uh, my superior said is, Steve's a great coach. Because I never wanted to give up on players. I never wanted to give up on employees. And there are a couple things that I've learned about employees too. When you bring them in and you counsel them, there are two, one or two things going to happen and only one or two things. The substandard employee, when you bring them in and you offer them a little bit of coaching, no matter how well-intended it is and no matter how you package it, they're going to start looking for another job. Rather than correct the behavior, rather than embrace what you're saying, they just said, hey, he's laying the groundwork to fire me, so I'm going to go ahead and go. And reality of it is, is more times than not, that wasn't the case. I would rather kind of rehabilitate what I have then watch them walk out the door. And then sometimes you got to make difficult decisions and say, you know what, this isn't going to work out. The other side of that equation, there are some people out there, it's like when, when they get coaching, they embrace the coaching. 
And they're somewhat challenged by the coaching. It's like, hey, I got to get better. Yeah, I don't want to lose my job. And it's not just the fear of losing the job that motivates them. It's the desire to be better. It is the desire to be great. I, I give, uh, and God rest his soul, I, I worked for a guy named Reven Desitel one time. And uh, I was in the retail furniture business. And I had been on the finance side. I knew everything about the finance side. I didn't know anything about sales. Nothing. And if you're going to be in retail sales, you better know how to sell. I don't know how to sell. I thought it was easy. I thought we just walked around and took orders. Like somebody said, okay, I'll take it. Okay, let's write it up. I didn't know. And so one day he goes, you know, Steve, you're, you're too bright. You're too smart. You're too personable, too articulate to not be an elite salesperson. So every day, this guy met me an hour early before the store opened to give me product knowledge. We went through and, hey, these are the features and these are the benefits and this is how you sell this and these are options. And it changed my life because I had always been the first kind of person. Like I I really resisted coaching. And then I realized, hey, if I buy in here and I really listen, I could be successful. Next thing you know, I'm leading salesperson in the division. But it's because I was willing to take coaching. People that won't take coaching will ultimately never be well-rounded. They'll never really get better. I mean, there are certain things we do through repetition that will get better through practice. But you never really shore up your weaknesses unless you're willing to take coaching. And as a job as a coach, it's your job to coach them and get them to a point where you can get the most out of them. There are some people that never truly figure things out, despite their best efforts. But sometimes as a coach, you know, sometimes in a ball game, you got to pull somebody. You know, sometimes you got to sit somebody on a bench. Sometimes you got to cut somebody for the betterment of your team. And one of the things that you know, I love about social media is that anybody can use it. And one of the things that I hate about social media is that anybody can use it. And so we get out of here and we don't know anything. We know nothing. If we knew that we knew nothing, that would be something. But we don't even know that. And I'm borrowing that from uh, Point Break, in case you didn't know. Um, but we don't know. And so then there's this vacuum, you know, for information. It's like we don't know details, so we begin to kind of fill it in with our own imagination. But coaching's tough. Coaching's tough. Especially when you got to coach players that maybe you didn't choose. And sometimes, too, you have personalities on your team that just don't mesh well together. And you do the best you can as a coach to try to, you know, navigate through that and put together a cohesive team. You do. You, you do your best. And sometimes you just kind of kind of realize, hey, this is just simply not going to work. And so at the end of the day, we talk about this Rakia Jackson thing. There is no doubt she is an extremely talented player. She is. But the relationship between her and Mississippi State basketball had just kind of reached a point that uh, we could no longer work together. That That's as simple as I can say it. We could just simply no longer continue to have a relationship together. And you know what? She may go somewhere else and, and just have an outstanding uh, career. And maybe, the, maybe that's best for her. Maybe a fresh start will be best for her. Maybe she'll have an opportunity to go somewhere else, get a fresh start, and say, you know what? This is a better opportunity for me. And you know what? So be it. But the social media stuff sometimes, you know, when we have all these, there's always people, well, this is what I heard. You know, and sometimes there is some substance to that. Sometimes. 
a lot of times what happens is, you know, we have this blame Mississippi State first mentality segment of our fan base. And in this situation here, anybody blaming Mississippi State for all this, they're, they're wrong. Mississippi State, dating all the way back to Vic, Vic Schaefer, has been extremely patient in this situation. Extremely patient. And again, we just can't work together anymore. That's really what it boils down to. There's all this other stuff. You know, it's like, oh, we got to do this. And why isn't Dr. Keenum acting on this? You don't know. You don't, you don't know all the details. And there are a lot of things that are not for public consumption. They're just not. And I, and I hate to say it as bluntly as I'm going to, but, you know, the reality of it is there are a lot of things that really aren't our business. As much as we love Mississippi State and as much as we cheer for the Bulldogs, there are some things that happen that just aren't our business. That doesn't mean that the people involved are bad people. It just means that sometimes things happen and they have to be dealt with. And that's what leaders do. You got to be willing to make a difficult decision for the betterment of your team. You got to make a decision for the betterment of your department, the university. It happens. And that's not to say that there's not, you know, some level of blame. You know, to go around, it's not to say that, you know, that, that everybody is, is blameless in this situation. You know, it's just kind of how it all happens. You know, this isn't for everybody. I mean, like if you took me, okay, I, I'm, I'm born and raised in South Mississippi, right? And I believe that I could work with anybody. I mean, and and I, I've always used that. Well, I, I can work with anybody, as long as they're willing to work and have a good attitude. Listen, I have worked with some people that I absolutely cannot stand. And they felt like psychic vampires on my soul. And I couldn't wait, could not wait until things changed. You know, and I, I was a guy too, you know, like many of you, you know, I had small kids. You know, so it's like you feel in some ways you feel trapped. You're like, well, I'm here and I'm committed and I've already got years invested in this job. And I got four kids at home that are dependent on me. So I can't go be a job hopper. I got to make this thing work. And you make it work as best you can. But some people are a lot like clouds, you know. Life is so much brighter when they go. I didn't write that. I wish I would have. But the reality of life is, you know, sometimes you, you put up with things as long as you can. And then you get to the realization that, you know what, it's just better if we separate. And listen, best of luck to you. We're going to go do the best we can. You know, it's just like I used to tell some of my employees when I would terminate them. and say, you know, we'll, you know, we're still friends. We're just not coworkers anymore. If I still see you in the grocery store, I'll still speak to you. And so I think it's, again, there are two sides to every story. And chances are, more times than not, you're not even going to get one. You know, we, we've had some discussions recently on Gene's page, and it's like some people get a little, they get a little information, and they've got about half of one side of the story. And then after you talk to some other people, you can get a little bit more. And then, and here's the thing I've learned about that too. At the end of the day, unless you're directly involved, you never get the full truth. You just don't. And so you kind of got to go make your peace with all that. It's like, here, there are just some things I'm not meant to know. There are some things that aren't my business. They're not. But we're still going to play baseball, baseball, women's basketball, men's basketball, football, golf, tennis, no matter who comes or goes. No player is bigger than the program. No coach is bigger than the program. And certainly no player, coach, or administrator is bigger than Mississippi State. And Mississippi State is a brand that endures. 
Is this a difficult situation right now? It absolutely is. There is no doubt about it. But all of this, let's go conduct an autopsy and you make the results of the pathology report public. That's not going to happen, nor should it happen. They're just sometimes it's best if, hey, let's just all part ways. You know, let's you go your way and I go mine. And, you know, we'll just kind of part as that. I mean, there's no point airing, you know, what people perceive to be the dirty laundry. You know, I mean, coaching athletics is not always a tidy undertaking. You got to deal with a lot of people, a lot of personalities. And you make a lot of mistakes as a coach. You do. And I don't just mean in-game mistakes or in-practice mistakes. Just sometimes the management of your roster, you're going to make some mistakes. It is so difficult to predict future human behavior. It's incredibly difficult to do that, especially on the college level. When you're dealing with young people whose lives are transitioning, you never know how they're going to react to certain stimuli. It's as simple as that. You know, what's going to happen? Okay, look, think about, let's take Gabe Cavazos as a great example, right? You remember him? Still on our football team now. Gabe was at Lake Cormorant High School. Gabe had never left home, very, very, very close with his family. When Mississippi State offered, he family jumped in the car and came. He was ready to commit right away because it was a chance to play college football. But he didn't know much about Mississippi State. But he'd never been away from home. So they come down here, they love it, they commit. Everything is great. I went and watched him play that year, got some great pictures, got some video, was really impressed with his game. I think he's probably a guard for us. And all of a sudden, you know, he graduates early. He's up here and everything is great. And the next thing you know, he's going home. He's going home. And Jay Perry and others got involved in a situation and like, hey, listen, this is part of growing up, Gabe. You know, he was kind of content at one point to just say, you know what, I'm going to go, go, go fix air conditioners with my dad. He was good enough for my dad. I can make that living. He had a girlfriend back home. And it's like everything that I know about my life is changing. I can't see my girlfriend every day. I don't get to peep, get my feet under mom's table anymore. And now I've got all these people that I've got this schedule I got to meet. And it was difficult. And he went home and he took the classes online for the rest of the semester. Didn't participate in workouts, didn't participate in any football related activities. And a lot of people thought he wasn't going to come back. He did. He came back, he was ready to go. He was ready to grow up a little bit, and he has. And we do expect him to be a good player at Mississippi State. But we never know what's going on with young people unless we know them. Listen, there's young people that lived in my house that uh, share my last name. I didn't know sometimes until maybe a friend said, or a teacher, or a coach, or somebody from church reached out and said, hey, you know, kind of worried about this one, and here's why. And you need some of that. But you don't know. It's like sometimes we don't even know what's going on in our own children's lives, but we want to pretend that we know what's going on in a student-athlete's life that we don't even know, we've never met. But we're going to get on Facebook, you know, never in, in doubt, often in error, and start assigning blame about a situation that we don't know anything about. And so young people are leaving home for the first time. They're in a more structured environment than they've ever been in. There are more demands on their time they've ever seen. You remember how difficult it was when you went to college? It's like, yeah, I've never had to do all, the, all this work i got to do. I never had this much work to do. Before I in high school, I could make A's and B's, not even bring a book home. Well, you can't do that in college. Most people can. Maybe some of you can, but most can't. you got to study a lot more. And then there's nobody to tell you, hey, you need to go study. It's time to go to bed. You don't need to go out tonight. And so you can go out all the time. 
And so all these things happen and people change. They grow up. And some people, it takes longer like it did me. It took me a long time to grow up. But when these things happen, there are young people sometimes that don't react to change well. That's one of the truisms of life, right? The only thing constant in life is change. Either you're reacting to the change, you're causing a change, but it's all going to change. Nothing today is going to remain constant. It's just like in recovery, they always tell us this too shall pass. And I've learned that's good, bad, or indifferent. Even the good things in life pass too. It's not just the negative things. At some point, everything passes away. So we have these high expectations for Rakia. In the end, it didn't work out. You know, she was suspended a couple times. You know, the bottom line is that, um, you know, it just didn't work out for us. You know, listen, I harbor no ill will in my heart towards Rakia Jackson. You know, the bottom line is, is that, um, you know, we just simply could not continue a working relationship together. And I think it's important that you guys understand that, again, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. But I know enough that I know that this, while detrimental to this season and detrimental to our offensive output, it might have been necessary. Let's thank our good friends at Portico as I get more horse as the show goes. Um, Brooks Bryan is my friend. He is your friend. He is a guy that's going to do a great job for you. Um, Here's the deal with all of that. You know, there are a lot of people that need to move to Starkville. Everybody wants to. And I want you to be my neighbor, whether it be part-time or full-time. May it be your primary residence or maybe a ball game weekend retreat. Uh, there are great properties out of Portico. And if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. And trust me, there are a lot of times I think, you know, maybe I should just move. You know, get a little closer to town. You know, when I bought this big house out in the country, I had a house full of kids. I don't anymore. So maybe I should downsize. But I don't know where I'd put all my stuff, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about moving to Portico. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And here's a cool thing. Phase one is completely sold out. So you've already got some neighbors that are already settled, and they're good folks. But phase two, that's all getting up and running. And here's the deal. You can pick out your lot. You can pick out your house plans right now. You can have some say in how that home is built. So you get it more of how you want it. You know, how many times do you go buy a house and you're like, well, I love everything but this and you say well eventually we're going to redo this and you never do you just kind of have that built-in resentment every time you pass by it one of these days when we get some money you know why not go ahead and save yourself that aggravation and kind of get involved in the construction process with our friends at portico very easy to find you turn off of 82 on a 12 the very first right is pat station road you've passed that a million times going to ball games you could live there you take that right next thing you know you're portico 1.1 miles from the mississippi state campus Great people, man. Absolutely great people over there on the business side of campus. It's really, really quiet, but you're close enough for convenience, but far enough away to have a little privacy. If you have, need more information, and I'm sure you do, give Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. A great neighborhood, man, doing a great job. And you can kind of get in now and get that new construction in your life and kind of get it how you want it. Make Portico your next move. All right, in the time we have left, before I go to Bulldog Burger Company, let's talk a little bit about uh, about recruiting. You know, we're down to the final weekend, and as it stands today, it appears that Mississippi State will have three, possibly four visitors this weekend. 
Now, we did have a couple of guys that are you know, long-time commitments that did not visit in December. And, you know, the, the thing about it is nowadays, like the commitment list is broken into so many different sections now. Like you got enrollees, you got signees, you got commitments, you got transfers. It's a lot to keep up with. So we do it for you. So as it stands today, you know, here's how it's going to break loose. R.J. Moss from Biloxi didn't sign in December. We'll visit Mississippi State this weekend and then is expected to sign next week. Now, I don't know a lot of the details about the hesitation about him signing in December, but I know that he had some work to do. But I am told that he had a great semester in the classroom and is off to a great start this time and that he is expected to qualify. So really any concerns about him uh, you know, probably have been addressed. But uh, he'll be here. And you know, he was a guy that you know, committed. He and his mom came up and – and committed in person to the staff, and uh, really, really, really solid young man. And listen, it was around, I think about this, man, I guess it was around this time last year when I heard from one of his coaches when he had transferred from Bell Chase, Louisiana, to Biloxi, and they're like, hey, we got a guy that's here, he's an SEC guy all the way, and now he's going to sign with Mississippi State. I mean, it's, it's number one, it's a pretty good eye for talent by a high school coach, and also a good job by a high school coach there to uh, to help the guy get some publicity, and now here he is headed to the SEC. Uh, so he's expected to be in town this weekend. I do think eventually R.J. Moss will be an inside guy. I think he will be at 3-Tech. When you look at him, you know, he kind of has that frame. He's going to carry some weight. I think that he is a guy that could end up being, you know, a little bit like, um, you know, maybe Jaden, maybe more like Cam Young or Jaden Cromerty than Nathan Pick, Pickering. You know, he's, he's not quite that robust. Uh, but he is a guy that's a quick twitch guy that I think will probably end up being a 300-pounder. I think he will add some mass and uh, and do a good job for Mississippi State. Now, in addition to that, uh, we got Javay Gilmore, who did sign with Mississippi State in December but has not visited. And, again, I don't know all the, the limitations behind that. You know, maybe it's a clearinghouse thing. Like, you have to be enrolled with a clearinghouse. You have to have, like, an ACT score on file with the clearinghouse in order to take official visits. I don't know if any of that applies to him, but that could be a possible explanation. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. He signed, and there were many guys back in the day, you know, back when we had the one national signing day, that they would sign with us in February and then take their official visit like as part of Super Bulldog weekend because, you know, maybe they hadn't taken the ACT. You know, many young people take it, you know, the, their, the spring semester of their junior year, and there are others that just kind of wait and take it the spring of their senior year. And so if you didn't have an ACT score on file, you couldn't take an official visit. And so then they would sign with Mississippi State, take the ACT in March, and back in those days it was a little more difficult, you know, the scheduling. They didn't give it at schools like they do today. You know, you had to sign up for the ACT and go to somebody else's school or, you know, go to Wayne County um, to take the ACT. And so it was, you know, they would wait and say, hey, let's, we're going to take one shot at this. We're going to go through our ACT prep and, uh, and take a shot. And, so, and then those guys would qualify, and you'd never know the difference, right? So I don't know if that applies to Jave, but I love this guy's game. LSU liked him as a tight end. He wanted to play defense. Matt Brock, Zach Arnett did a great job with him. He and his family expected to be here this weekend. So there's no drama with him. You know, he's already in the boat. So he's just kind of coming to have a good time and really just kind of wrap up the recruiting process, kind of finishing things up there. Now, Jaywin Farmer 
is a offensive line prospect that um, was committed to Florida. We, I guess he remains committed to Florida. However, because of the coaching change in Gainesville, he elected not to sign in December. Wanted to wait, see who was hired, kind of build a relationship with a new staff in Florida, and then kind of go from there. He has visited Florida, met with Billy Napier in that group, he visited Auburn last weekend and will visit Mississippi State this weekend. He's out of Covington, Georgia, Eastside High School, 6'5", 325, uh, considered one of the top inside offensive linemen in the state of Georgia. Does that mean that he plays guard for us? You know, he could play right tackle for us. But at this point, I would probably submit to you, he is probably the only high school offensive lineman in the country that may have a committable offer for Mississippi State right now. I think you can afford to be picky when you've already got, you know, a handful of guys already in. You've already got your four high school signees, excuse me, three high school signees, Percy Lewis, and, of course, you just added Stephen Lasoya uh, from Middle Tennessee. And so you don't have to just go get a guy to get a guy. You don't just need a body. You need a guy that can be a potential starter. And so I think if Farmer wants to commit, you absolutely take him, and, and I think he is going to be a signing day announcement. He may stick with Florida. I know that Auburn has ratcheted things up, and, of course, Auburn is closer to home in Covington, Georgia. So we're kind of navigating through some murky water out here. But you get him on campus, and you never know. You just simply never know how things are going to progress. Uh, he and his mom, I believe, are making the trip together. And then they'll get home, and they'll decide. I go back to the fact that he committed to Florida for a reason in the first place, and he hasn't backed off that commitment, which tells me that, hey, I want to make sure that I retain them as an opportunity. And so – that's something that we're monitoring too. And so I can't say at this point that I expect him to be a bulldog. I think State's going to have to really knock his socks off this weekend. You do get the last visit, which is sometimes kind of a tenuous situation too. Everybody, oh, I want the last visit. I want the last visit because kids are so impressionable. Well, sometimes the last visit doesn't happen. There are a lot of times guys may go to another school and decide the week, week before they come to you, well, I'm just going to go ahead and commit to this program because I like them better. And you never get a chance to host them. So there's a risk-reward process involved in every bit of that. But Farmer is expected to be here this weekend. And then uh, yesterday, you know, just kind of talking to some colleagues around the network, I find out that Jamarian Burt, a safety prospect out of Ocala, Florida, is also contemplating taking a visit to Mississippi State this weekend. He visited Oklahoma. Uh, there are some people to think that he may go to Oklahoma. He was set to visit Miami this weekend. It appears that is off. Of course, things can change. It's just Wednesday, right? But, uh, you know, he's a guy that's got about 20 offers, uh, certainly double-digit. and you know, We hadn't listed everything. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that's taken some trips, been to Utah, been to Oklahoma, and, uh, again, will make a decision sometime around signing day. And so we hope to get him on campus this weekend and roll out the big maroon carpet for him and kind of see how things go. But uh, we'll try to finalize some things for Friday's show. But, again, you know, Moss – Farmer, Gilmore, we certainly expect them. And then we'll see on Burt. You know, we'll just have to see how things progress. We didn't host official visitors the last two weekends. And, again, that is not apathy on behalf of your staff. It's, it's basically a lack of room. You know, we've only got three spots left, and then there's still some wiggle room with all that stuff too because we're going to need some other players have to leave in order to get the full complement of the 31 players in. So we'll likely wait – probably save a scholarship or two uh, for the spring portal entrance because we're going to need some guys. 
we still have to find an older safety to be able to be a two deeper, whether they're a starter or a two deeper. We've got to get an older safety. That is a position group. It's simply got to get better. And you got to throw some numbers at it uh, from your scholarship allocation. You simply got to go out there and get some guys uh, that can make you a better football team. You know, so we'll see how things uh, progress, uh, you know, with that. But um, so you're not going to see a lot of new signees come next week. You know, we've already got a couple guys, too, that you guys know that are listed as commitments that have actually signed and are just waiting to announce their signing with their friends on National Signing Day. So there's no drama with those guys. We're just kind of waiting for the, the school to release the signee. But, and they already counted the rankings. You know, so the only way that State at this point is going to move up in the prep prospect rankings is to add, you know, Farmer or Bird or somebody like that. So that's not going to happen. Uh, the transfer rankings are now kind of a part of what we do now. So that's something that, that to kind of monitor as well. We've got a couple of guys that doesn't have a transfer rating. And that's one thing that kind of annoys me too. It's like I see, oh, here, look, look how everybody's doing in the transfer portal. And then a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys that have been transferred – and have found the destination haven't been rated yet. So even those ratings are still kind of a work in progress. So uh, we'll see how things go. But it's about hitting needs, and I believe Mississippi State is well on their way to doing that. When we get back on Friday, again, we'll kind of finalize that visit list for you. And uh, pretty soon, you know, starting, you know, once we get through NAFL signing day of next week, which which should not be a big deal for State because uh, the hay is pretty much in the barn, which is the way we would like it, um, we'll start looking ahead to 2023 we'll start talking about some of those guys on the show i mentioned on the show on the monday that we picked up a couple commitments and we'll see how things go with that but i think state has a chance uh, to put together a really solid in-state class uh, for 2023 that's going to do it for today let me remind you too so dogpile is supposed to ship from the printer today or tomorrow we said you know, on or about the 26th well, today's the 26th and so i'm anxiously awaiting to hear from my publisher that the truck is en route to mississippi and then hopefully we'll have it this weekend, and I'll go ahead and sign because it takes a couple days for it to ship here. And then, uh, you know, we get it out to you guys. I'll go home and go down there to Jackson, and we'll sign a few thousand books, and they'll be in the mail. So at long last, we're, we're getting there. They did tell us earlier this week uh, they were about a day behind because, uh, you know, there, there's always something, you know, this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, the book covers are done. The book jackets are done. They're just waiting on the, the final run of the printer. And then I will keep you guys apprised. And so when we get together again on Friday on this show, uh, we'll have a lot of information. And it, maybe at that point, we'll have some books in hand and uh, you guys can begin to start celebrating. And I cannot wait. Again, I finished writing this thing August 26th. So it's, we're talking five months now, five months since I finished to get this book printed. You know, of course, there are some steps you go through. But the reality of it is, is uh, it will be worth the wait. If you're looking to order, you should go to dogpilethebook.com. And even though the pre-orders have already been in and maybe you waited to do it, well, now's the time to do it because we're only a few days away uh, from the book being delivered to the publisher and then in turn to you. Uh, and while you're there, you can get copies of Flim Flam, uh, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and you probably should be, you can find it at Amazon, BooksAmillion.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and, and your local bookstore can get it for you as well. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. You can outfit yourself and your family in a wide variety of Stark Villain t-shirts and hoodies. Listen, that's it for today. See you guys back on Friday. Until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.
you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.